you have your Bible, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Tonight we're moving on in our series this fall in CBS on what the Scriptures teach about the church. And along the way, um, not only what the Scriptures teach, but along the way a little bit about the history of the church throughout the centuries, and how all of that impacts how we understand the church today and live as the church today. And tonight we're going to talk a few minutes about the design of the church, the, the design, specifically about the presence and purpose of different gifts and roles within the church. And we're going to take our cue from what Paul wrote to the church there in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. While you're finding that passage, and before we get into it, I just wanted to, I wanted to... Uh, I want to take just a second and mention the fact that today is 9-11. And I know that most of you in this room, most of you, were being born that year. (laughs) Or at most three or four years old. Yeah, two. And so you don't have memories of that day. You don't have memories of what that was was like on 9-11 in 2001, but just as a way of remembering it, before we get into the scriptures, I just want to tell you my day. Um, that was my junior year at Auburn. I was a junior at Auburn when that happened. That's how old I am, guys. It was a, it was a Tuesday, and I didn't have classes in, on Tuesdays or Thursdays that semester, it's funny, the random things that you remember when something significant happens like that. Uh, it it kind of helps you understand how the gospel writers remembered in such vivid detail the things that they wrote. Of course, the Holy Spirit inspired their memories, right? But uh, for reasons similar to that, they probably just remembered a bunch of that stuff in vivid detail. Um, I didn't have class that day. It was Tuesday. I didn't have class on Tuesday or Thursdays. I didn't have class that day, so I, I slept in till 8. And I got up. I had to be at work at 9. I worked downtown Auburn. I had to be at work at 9. I, got, I slept till 8. I lived in Deerfield. Um, that's where I lived. And my room was upstairs. And I can remember waking up that day and looking outside my window upstairs. And um, as I just put my feet on the floor looking out, just a brilliantly, brilliantly beautiful day. Um, not a one of those deep blue September skies, not a cloud in the sky. And anyway, I showered and I got dressed and headed downstairs to eat a bite of breakfast before I went to work at nine. And when I went downstairs, per my usual, I cut on the TV to watch Sports Center while I ate. And I was watching Sports Center that morning. And, and, and in the middle of the broadcast, they, they interrupted SportsCenter to talk about something that big that had happened in New York. And at, <clears throat> that was at 8.46. At 8.46, the first plane hit the North Tower, the World Trade Center. And uh, so I switched it off of SportsCenter to, I don't remember what news channel it was, CNN or, I don't know. I don't even know if Fox News was a thing then. I don't remember. Um, and I saw the the tower was just billowing. The smoke it was surreal. It was surreal. 
Like I had, um, I had graduated high. My sister lived in New York City at that time. And so I remember even at that, as junior, I'd been to New York. I, I, when I graduated high school, that was part of my senior trip as I went to New York City to stay with my sister and da da da. I'd like been there. <laughs> to see it smoking like that was weird. It was just really surreal. But at this point, at that point, no, nobody really knew what had happened. All right? Nobody really knew. Uh, there were all sorts of rumors going around about what it might have been, a small plane, a helicopter. Remember, there's no social media. And then nobody has a phone that's going to video anything. Don't you take that for granted now, you know, right? Anything happens now in like 12 seconds. The other side of the earth knows about it and has seen a video of it. That wasn't that like that. That was, that was 8.46. I had to be at work at 9. So I watched as much of that as I could on the news before uh, I, I said, well, I, I, I got I to gotta go to work. So I did. And like I said, um, my sister lived in, in New York City at that time. She lived in Brooklyn, and she worked in Manhattan. And um, she later told me that uh, she had heard something had happened before she went to work that day. She had to ride the subway from Brooklyn into Manhattan. And as she was walking to the subway in Brooklyn, um, she called her husband and said, did something happen or whatever? And he said, yeah, there was something going on at the Trade Center. They don't really know what it was. Maybe it was a boiler explosion. That's what, that's what they're saying. So she got on the subway uh, in Brooklyn and, and rode into, into Manhattan. When she got off the subway, she knew something was up because the police officers were carrying AK-47s. Just imagine what that was like. You know? And, uh, yeah, so she went down into the subway and everything was fine. She came up, something's different. When I got to work, um, nobody was working. Everybody was kind of gathered around this, this TV that was in one of the lobby rooms. I was a few minutes late to work because I had sort of watched some of the news until the last minute, and then I, then I went. And so I walked in at like 5 after 9, well, just two minutes before I walked in, the second plane had hit the second tower um, and had done it on live TV. I mean, they're, you know, CNN's got their cameras on Tower 1 that had just been hit, looking at this, and all of a sudden you actually see the second plane coming to the other tower. <laughs> so, um, I, honestly, it was the most surreal thing you'd ever seen. Like, and honestly, we've never experienced anything like it since. Nothing like it since. Um, and it got even worse because when a, a few minutes after I had gotten to work that day and we we're still gathered around that TV, another plane crashed into the Pentagon. I mean, think about that. The Pentagon. <laughs> a plane crashed into the Pentagon. And it was like on fire. It's this. There's this gaping hole in the Pentagon. Now, what would you be thinking at that point? One tower hit with a plane. Another tower hit with a plane. Pentagon hit with a plane. What do you, what do you, what do you think? Uh, at, at that time, when the Pentagon was hit and caught on fire, they shut down all air traffic in the United States. All planes landed. 
It's, it's surreal to go walk outside. And, and we live right next to an airport. There's stuff flying over all the time. Nothing's flying over anywhere in the United States. And really, honestly, the only person that was able to fly somewhere was Billy Graham, like, to go pray with the president or something. It's a strange feeling. It was a stunningly beautiful day. Stunningly beautiful day. And the funny thing is, it was like that all, I heard weather reports, like news people talking about, it was that way all over the United States that day. Stunningly beautiful day and something so unimaginably tragic happening at the same time. And at this point, I had not heard from my sister. A lot of the phones and phone lines were down. And then um, another plane crashed in Pennsylvania. And uh, they made a movie about that, you know. And it, the, they said that that plane was more than likely headed also to Washington, D.C., either for the Capitol building or the White House. Let that sink in. And after all, it was over. Well, then, then, then it was about that time that the, the first tower fell and the second tower fell. Just after it was over, like over 3,000 people had died. It was weird how um, the focus was all on, mainly on New York City because of the World Trade Center towers. Uh, but for the rest of the country, here I am in Auburn, Alabama, for the rest of the country, because of that, because of the Pentagon, because of the other plane that headed for D.C., there was this sense that this is not over. Like, what's next? And where is it going to happen? Because it's not just located in one place. It's happening all over the eastern United States. And if a plane can hit the Pentagon, is anywhere safe? And it was a tragically sad day. When we finally got in touch with my sister, she told us that uh, she was safe. She had gone back to Brooklyn, and she was safe, but that um, her, her boss's son had been killed when the first plane hit the first tower. I say all that just to, just to remember it because it's worth remembering for a lot of reasons. You know, um, even if only for the fact that eight, 18 years later, there are still people all over the country, not your age, but, but thousands of people all over the country still today who are deeply sad on this day every year. Because my sister hasn't lived in New York City for a lot of years now. She lives in McDonough, Georgia. And you wouldn't think that a random person in McDonough, Georgia would be that connected to it, right? But she's just one of thousands of people who lived in New York City on that day and knew people who died but now live somewhere else. And everybody else around them is just carrying on their day and it's a sad day for them. And they still grieve. So it's good to remember for their sakes and to pray for them because there's a ton of people for whom this is still a really, really hard day. And it's good to remember also just to be a little more sober-minded about life. Not to be Johnny Raincloud, but like just to be sober-minded about life. Because whoever knew, whoever knew that we would wake up on that beautiful Tuesday and that's happening, that's happening. 
I mean, it shook the whole country in a way that it's not been shaken before. It forced it back. It was probably, that part was probably good. It, you know, in a way that you... That was a Tuesday, by the way. That was a Tuesday. We were supposed to play LSU that weekend. That Saturday was the LSU game coming up. They postponed it. They postponed the LSU game. We were supposed to have it on, on that September weekend. We didn't, have, we didn't play them until December 1st. Right? That's a big deal when SEC games get postponed. So people were in deep, sobering shock for a long time, but eventually people went back to life as normal. We haven't been shaking like that since. But the reality is life is still as precarious right now and today as it was on that day. And, um, and those kinds of events force us to remember the most important things and to see those things clearly among all the other stuff. I say all that to remember it, give you what my day was like on that day, but also just uh, as we come to open up the Scriptures tonight, I want, us to, I want us to pray, and not only pray for those for whom this was a difficult day, um, but also for us that we might be awakened on this beautiful day to remember the things that are important and to give our minds to the things that are, that are eternal. All right? So let's pray as we start. Father, um, we, we bow before you, and this is, uh, this is a, a significant day in, in our nation um, there are thousands upon thousands of people who, for whom this is a sad, sad day and a sobering, soberingly sad day who lost family members, who lost multiple family members, who lost friends, um, or who were there that day and from debris and, and trying to rescue people got sick and died later. This is a tragic, tragic day. And so many people all around us, um, older than many of us, though, are still deeply affected by it year after year after year. So I pray for those people. I pray for those who are sad today. And, and I pray that you might lift them up. I pray that you might encourage them through the kindness of a friend or a family member or a believer in Christ especially. And um, yeah, point them to Christ and give them hope there. And Lord, I pray now for us as we come to the Scriptures that we might just having remember the events of that day and how it shook us all into this sobering view of the world going on around us and how some things are just not important. Football was not important that week. We can play LSU later. I pray that even tonight we might we might do the same and just say this is these are important things. What we're about to read in your word is so important. And we acknowledge before we even read it at the outset, we acknowledge that what we're gonna read and study tonight, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear authoritative and necessary word and give us eyes to see truth in it minds to understand it hearts to love it and embrace it wills to obey it give me the help that i need to teach give us all ears to hear your voice speaking in your word pray it in jesus name amen all right so let's get on with what we're going to think about tonight
And as I said, we're going to think about the design of the church. The design of the church. Specifically about the presence and purpose of different gifts and roles within the church. So let's, 1 Corinthians 12, let's, if you've got it open, let's read it together, the whole chapter. And then we'll think through what it says. Beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagans, that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the one of the body though many are one body so it is with christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews or greeks slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit for the body does not consist of one member but many if the foot should say because i'm not a hand i do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body and if the ear should say because i'm not an eye i do not belong to the body that would not make it any less part of the body If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, All rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. All right, so this and the following two chapters in 1 Corinthians, so 12, 13, and 14, are probably the clearest place in the whole New Testament about the design of the church. 
the design of it. Not that it says everything that is to be said about it, because surely places like, like Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 Timothy, a lot of other places have, have, have more to say and more to add than is said here. But this chapter we just read is probably clearer than anywhere else in the New Testament that there's an intentional design in the church. And remember, we have said that the church is the people, not the place, not the building, but the people in it. So there's an, inten- there's an intentional design in the church uh, that, that, that is us. And, and, and it tells us what, that purpose, what the purpose of that design is. And so as we think about this, this chapter and this issue from this chapter, maybe it'll help us to get it clear in our minds uh, to break it down in this way. And first, I want us to think about the design of the church. Main, mainly, in, well, no, I'm not going to say that. Really, all throughout the chapter, there's, but early on in the early verses, we see this, but it's scattered throughout how God sovereignly orchestrates his church locally. How God sovereignly orchestrates his church locally. Then, second, the distribution of gifts, from, especially from verses 12 to 26. Not only that there are a variety of gifts in the church, but why? Why do we have them? Why, why are there that variety of gifts in the church? And then third and last, the direction of those gifts. From, from the last words of the chapter, how, how ultimately all of this is to be aimed. Okay, So let's dig into it and let's think first about the fact that there's an intentional design in, in, in every local church. And remember that we've talked in the, in the past few weeks about how the, the New Testament talks about the church in two primary ways, universal and local. When it talks about the church universal, it's talking about the church worldwide, all the believers in the world, and not only all the believers now all over the world, but past, present, and future. All the people that the Lord has redeemed and will redeem. That's the universal church. But, but also the local church, and far and away, that's, that's what the New Testament talks about the most. The Individual congregations located in certain places, local churches. And everything he says here has to do with local churches, wherever they are found. And so much like he's writing to the church in Corinth, and uh, much like the one here at Lakeview. So let's see what he says about the design of it. He opens this chapter by affirming his belief that those who make up this church in Corinth uh, are believers. He says, he points out in verse 2, that their, what their life was before Christ. He said they were pagans. They worshipped idols. But now they profess faith in Christ. And, and it's not mere words, but they have a desire to commit their lives to Him as Lord, despite the many lapses that He's correcting them of in this letter. But in affirming that they're believers, because of their professions of faith, He affirms a second truth about them. Not just they're believers, but because of that, He affirms that each of them have the Holy Spirit within them. Okay, or else he puts it elsewhere, they have all been baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is true of every believer. He says in verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Not that, don't read that in a rigidly wooden way. It's not he's saying nobody can utter the words Jesus is Lord. I just did. I just said Jesus is accursed. I just said that. I read it. But what he's saying when he says no one can say Jesus is accursed, no one can say Jesus is Lord, he's saying no one can say these things and mean them. 
and mean them, and it be what they what's coming from their heart. Except nobody can say Jesus is the Lord except in, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice the order implied there. It's not as if we profess faith, then we receive the Spirit. It's 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 no, it's the other way around. He says the profession of faith is itself evidence of the Spirit within you, right? No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. So the Spirit is there. The Spirit is the one. Uh, the Spirit is the one who empowers that in us. So he he has settled this fact that he, who, the people he's writing to in this church, this local church in Corinth, they are professing believers and they have the Holy Spirit within them. And it's on that basis that he proceeds with everything else he says. Okay. His whole point in the rest of this chapter will be that they did not receive the Holy Spirit merely to make a profession of faith. They received the Holy Spirit, yes, to make a profession of faith, but that Spirit has an ongoing work in their lives that we need to know and be aware of. And he's going to say that the Holy Spirit has gifted every single one of them in important ways. The Holy Spirit has gifted each one of them in important ways. Ways that we're going to talk more about in the second point. But for now, I want us to focus on this simple fact that of each one being gifted by the Holy Spirit. Each person in every local church, every believer in every local church, has been gifted of the Holy Spirit. And how this chapter talks about that in terms of how we have received these gifts. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's an important verse that we'll come back to later. But for now, the f- focus on those first few words. Few words. To each is given. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. These aren't qualities in us or about us that we produce or that come from us, but these are things about us that are given to us by the Spirit. Given by whom? Given by the Lord. He says so right in verse 6, right before that. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So principle number one, every believer has received gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every believer has received gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, I'm talking about you. Right? Sovereignly from the hand of God. He could not make this any clearer than he does in verse 11. All these, these what? These gifts that he just mentioned in verses 8 through 10. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So here is one place that we see, for example, in the New Testament that teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God. Contrary to the people like Job's witnesses, in verse 6, it's God who empowers these gifts. Here in verse 11, it's the Spirit who empowers these gifts. That's not saying two different things. It's saying one and the same thing in two different ways. The Spirit is God. God the Spirit is empowering these gifts in us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is said to apportion these gifts as He wills. So He's a person. He wills things. He decides things. He's a person. As the chapter goes on, Paul takes this this first principle that, that every believer has been, has, has been sovereignly gifted by the Holy Spirit. That's the first principle. All believers have received gifts from the Holy Spirit. And he takes that and he proceeds to a second principle. Namely, that God then 
sovereignly brings those gifted believers into local churches. God sovereignly brings those gifted believers into local churches. So He gifts every believer, principle one. Principle two, He brings those gifted believers into local churches. This is simple, but just get it. It has massive implications. He gifts every believer, principle one. Principle two, He then sovereignly brings those gifted believers into local churches. Okay. And He does it according to His will and His design. Notice the language all throughout the chapter. Verse 18, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as He chose. Look at the middle of verse 24, But God has so composed the body. Again, down in verse 8, God has appointed in the church dot, dot, dot. Every local church is a, is a, a symphony designed by God Himself. And again, we're talking about people. We're not talking about the building. Every local church is a symphony that God has composed of people. He, and every local church is like that, and He... He does it in this way. He, he sees the local church. He knows where, where he, he's gifted people. Then he knows where those gifts are, are needed. And so he providentially places those people in those places to fill that gap and that need in that church. We'll say more about this distribution of gifts in just a second. But just, just meditate, please. Meditate on God's oversight and God's Sovereign care and provision for every local church, no matter how big or small it is. Um, and as you meditate on that truth, several things ought to dawn on you. One, and most obvious, I think, church membership is so very important. <laughs> church membership is so very important. We talked about that last week. There is, not a, there is not an example in the New Testament of a believer where there was a church not belonging to a church. There's not, there's not an example in the New Testament of a believer in a place where there is a church not belonging to that church. Unless it's that guy in 2 Corinthians 5 who was sinning and they disciplined him and kicked him out of that church. <laughs> and... and, and, and yeah, it, it's in the membership of the local church that your gifts are known and used and exercised. Think about that. If you're a believer, and I presume most, or if not all of you are, if you're a believer, God has gifted you. Okay? And He hasn't gifted you for you. But for the benefit of His church. His local church. And if you simply attend, if you simply attend and, and hang around the church where you live without any intent to join its membership and to be known by them and to put your gifts into the service of that local church, you're running contrary to God's will in that area. 
I don't know how, I'm not trying to overstate it, but it's clear. And that's not a good thing. That's not just unfortunate. That's not just not ideal. It's not right. It's not right. And if it's to go contrary to God's will, it's sin. It is in every other area of our life. If, any, if in any other thing you tell me I'm going contrary to God's will, what's the word for that? Sin. And that's why you should be. I said it last week. I probably said it the first week too. I'm a broken record, but we're doing a series on the church. That you should be a member of the local church where you live. Where you live. Because just tease out these truths that we see here on the pages. What does he say? Verse 18, God arranged the members of the body. He arranged the members. Each one of them as he chose. That's what God is desiring to do. And if God is composing his local church, like this is one of them. There's a bunch of them around here. If God is composing his local church based on the sovereign gifts that he has given and bestowed on the believers who live in that place, then that intention of God and that design of his is being ignored or being thwarted when you live in a place where God has providentially brought you, but your membership into the, is into a church somewhere else. Aside from the issue of church membership, the fact that God has sovereignly gifted all of his people and providentially arranged the members of, of the local churches according to his will, it also teaches you something here, though, about the distribution of gifts, which is the second truth. I want, I, I want to press home that, that last point I made before I move on. That's what the local church is. Every believer is gifted of the Holy Spirit. That's principle one. Principle two, God is gathering and providentially moving the chess pieces of His people into these local churches. And His design is, He's gifted you in such a way and He's brought you to this place so that the gifts He's given you can benefit these people in this local church. Right? And so if, you now, if your membership in a church is over here and you now live over here, God has moved you here to be benefit to these people. Therefore, your membership ought to go with it. That's just the New Testament way. What it, but let's talk about the distribution of gifts. What it teaches you about church membership is incredibly important. Um, there's no instant, it, it, what it, the distribution of gifts tells you, that's no, there's no instant, insignificant part to the church. Every person, no matter how, no matter how gifted, is exactly the person God has made. Okay? Every person, no matter how, whatever, is exactly the person God has made. And they are exactly the person that God providentially placed in this particular fellowship, and God doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't do better with some and not so good with others. Every church is knit together just exactly how God wants. And the emphasis, especially in verses 12 through 26, is mainly twofold. One, the purpose of these is, one, to identify some of the gifts. And two, to, 
emphasize again that every person with their gifts is indispensably vital to the health of the local church. One, identify the gifts. Two, every person with their gifts is indispensably vital to the health of the local church. No matter how insignificant they might feel their giftings are. Okay? As far as identifying what the gifts are, what your gifts might be, I want to talk about that. Um, Paul is consistent with others in the New Testament that the gifts come in different shapes and sizes. Um, But they can more, and there's a bunch of them, but they can more or less be categorized in one of two ways. Um, One is either speaking gifts or the other is serving gifts. Speaking or serving gifts. Um, For example, Peter says, moving to Peter real quick, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So everybody's received a gift, and he seems to categorize it as people who exercise them by speaking, some by serving. And, and, and so gifts, gifts, gifts generally fall. It's gifts, by the way. Um, gifts generally fall in one of those two categories. Um, and that's the case in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. But he also gives a list in Romans 12. He gives uh, a list in Ephesians 4. We don't have time to go through all these lists, or even the one in 1 Corinthians 12. You can read these on your own. If you have any questions about some of these, you can come ask me. We'll talk. Come to Theology Thursday. What I want to emphasize tonight is, how do you know what gifts you have? you got lists of them in the New Testament. They're all laid out. How do you know what your gifts are? How do you know what, how the Spirit has gifted you? He's gifted every believer. And, and what I want to say about that here are just a couple of, I hope, practical things. One, use Scripture to discern your gifts more than the Enneagram. Yeah, I just said that. Use Scripture to discern your gifts more than the Enneagram. I'm not saying Enneagram is wicked. I'm just saying it's not inspired Scripture. And second, use obedience to Scripture to discern your gifts. Use Scripture and use obedience to Scripture. In other words, find out through your obedience what what you feel more or less gifted to do. (laughs) It's not that hard. For example... Go visit the sick. Go visit the sick in the hospital. And you might find you are strong and gifted in the gift of mercy. Or be bold and agree to lead a Bible study. And you might find out you're gifted to teach. You might find out otherwise. But you found out. And I say this for a couple of reasons. One is... 
This is a more certain way of discerning your gifts than any kind of written test, be it Enneagram or any other kind of spiritual gift survey, which I've taken plenty of. Maybe you have too. It's, more, it's a more certain way to go about it. You have the, the scriptural options before you, and just go obey scripture and see which ones you feel gifted to do. It's not rocket science. And the other reason this is a more certain way is because, or a better way to do it, is because we, we can have a tendency to think that spiritual, the spiritual gifts we have are really static. Like, they're stationary. Like, this is what I have, and this is what I have. These are my gifts, and these are my gifts. But spiritual gifts are, are not exactly like our personality traits. They're not the same. And here's the Here's the reality. God might gift you in a way that surprises even you. Okay? You might think you know yourself, but you might be gifted in a way that surprises even what you thought about yourself. Because you might think initially that that's out of character for you, but you're really effective at it. And you enjoy it, surprisingly. So they're not, they're, so not, they're not static in that way, and they're, not, they're also not static because, for example, just because somebody has the gift of mercy doesn't mean the rest of us don't have to be merciful. Right? And I believe, the, I believe some of these gifts ebb and flow. They ebb and they flow in our lives by the sovereign hand of God according to the needs of the moment, where we live, as circumstances differ yeah so give yourself to to know the gifts listed in scripture give yourself to obey christ and his church and in your obedience you will discern where your giftedness lies and some strengths you will always have i don't think there's going to come a time in my life where i'm just going to not enjoy teaching anymore and, 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 and for, for all of us, we all have gifts that I think if we were just always going to have them. But some, are, some, you're, some, as life goes on, for, for example, as, as things change, as you get married, and then as you have children, and then as whatever it may happen, you might gain some gifts that you previously didn't have. Because circumstances change. And no gift or no person is dispensable to the church. Let's just look again at the analogy that Paul gives of a body in the middle of the chapter, right? like 21 through 26. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He deliberately in that passage uses phrases like, in verse 22, seem to be weaker. 
seem to be weaker. Or in verse 23, we think less honorable. And none can say to the other, I don't need you. Think about that. There isn't a soul in this fellowship. We may not all know each other close, but God knows all of us very intimately. <laughs> and there isn't a soul in this fellowship who is not needed. Because <laughs> all these gifts, all, all, what's in this room, what's in this church, is, is, is God has sovereignly brought people together, orchestrated them into this rich tapestry and he's weaved it together. He's called it a local church. And it's given for the common good, it says. When one person, he says, it, it, that's, that's what he says um, in verse 7. I told you we'd come back to it. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So however God has gifted you, it's for the common good. So when one person leaves the church with their gifts, it's a blow to the common good. That's why, for example, can I just tell you, I mean, I tell you this having been a pastor of a church. That's why, that's why membership is so important and marriage, and membership ought to be more like a marriage than buying a new car. You know? Because when, when, when a person comes into a church and they have gifts that are really needed, and then they just leave, it's a blow to the common good. <laughs> it's a blow. But when another comes in, it's, it's, it's a gift to the common good. You're a hoarder if you just hang around a local church and don't join it intentionally to use your gifts. Don't be a hoarder. You're hoarding your gifts. For the good of everyone out there. And believe me, in a church the size of Lakeview, there's, there's opportunities aplenty to serve. So God has distributed his and gifted his people providentially so that all the people in the church benefit from all the people. Beautiful. Can I just tell you, I, was, I had, I got a, we put out a need, uh, we put out a need the other day on the guys group me. Um, I wonder if I still have this. Yeah, oh shoot. Here we go. Uh, and so some of our college students did something for an older person in the church. And I got an email saying, Kevin, we appreciate y'all helping out with our senior saints. We believe our Lord closes the generation gap by using Lakeview College Ministry. We pray the Lord will continue to bless the students at Lakeview. I got that email. It was awesome, right? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. If you don't have eyes to see it, I pity. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. If we would just trust him on this and obey him. Just go back and read the end of Acts 2 and like how irresistible that church was. But there's one more thing before we close and that's the direction of these gifts. What do I mean by that? Well, what I want to emphasize here is the last verse of the chapter. 
after listing all these gifts again in 27 through the first part of verse 31, first part of verse 31, here's what he says at the end of verse 31. And I will show you a still more excellent way. I will show you a still more excellent way. What way is that? What's the still more excellent way? That's chapter 13. (laughs) Love each other. Love each other through these gifts. You ever ever wonder, I mean, we read 1 Corinthians 13, weddings. Love is patient, love is kind. Paul didn't write this for a wedding. It's true. But he wrote this to a church. This, This chapter about love is right in the middle of a chapter 12 on spiritual gifts and chapter 14 on spiritual gifts. Let me just remind you why you have these gifts. Love each other. Love. And he's going to start in 13. He says, if I think I have this gift or I have that gift or I'm this or I'm that and I don't have love, I'm not anything. That's what he says. So the, that, that, the direction of these gifts is love each other. Not just be used by God, just to be used by Him, but to love each other. And as we, and we as believers are to direct our love in two primary ways. Through the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We've been talking a lot about loving your neighbor as yourself within the local church. Right? But, but direct the love of these gifts in the, in the Great Commission. To use, to use your gifts to love the lost in Auburn and around the world as we have posted all over the building at Lakeview. Sunday I mentioned that God has designs in, in saving us to do something for us, in us, and through us. And in working through us, he's working in, in, through us in this, in this body. He's, he's working not only to sanctify us in the process, but to save others through us. Through the giving of, of, of gifts. 